Welcome to the SOAR podcast. Thank you for your support. If you want to continue to support this podcast, there are a few things you can do for me. Please like, subscribe, and share. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you would give me a five-star rating. And if you really feel motivated, go ahead and write a review. So welcome to SOAR, the Sisters Overcoming and Rising podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie, your host, and I'm here to help women overcome limiting beliefs so that they can live their best lives. Sisters, come together now, come together now. It's time to help each other out, help each other out. It's time for transformation, time for healing. You've got the potential, you've got the power now. Sisters, overcoming and rising. Topic for tonight, Blended Beyond Expectation. And my special guest is Dr. Naomi L. Hill Hugh. Naomi earned a Bachelor of Science degree from Rutgers University, Douglas College, in 1989. And in 1996, her childhood dream of became a reality when she received her Doctor of Medicine degree from Howard University College of Medicine. Currently, she holds an unrestricted license to practice medicine in the state of New Jersey, and she is living an unrestricted life ordained by God. To some, she is a pediatrician, to others, a deaconess, to some, she's a mother, and to one, she is a wife on fire. This author and trusted voice is going to discuss the beauty and challenges of blended families in a way that only she can, and that is through her heart. Welcome to SOAR, Naomi. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I'm excited, too. We talked about this a while ago, and it seems like it took forever for it to happen, but it's happening, so I'm really excited. Yes, indeed. And we are here for our topic is Blended Beyond Expectation, which is also the title of your new book, which is very exciting. So... I just wanted to ask you what Blended Beyond Expectation means to you. Okay, so Blended Beyond Expectation is actually a journey through my heart as a wife and as a mother. So one would expect that my book would be about the blending of families and how to make, you know, a perfect blended family. And, you know, what are some of the things that come up in a blended family? How do you deal with them? How do you make your family perfect? But blended beyond expectation to me is something that my heart experienced as a mother and as a wife when the blending of my heart came about because of my marriage. That is really great to hear you explain it that way because I read the book and love the book. And when you explain it that way, it makes perfect sense in the context of the book. But what I also like about it, so many people can relate to the book and relate to your story, but it really does shed light on 
some of the challenges that blended families experience. And I know that that's something that we'll get to talk about as well. But I wanted to just give you a chance to just tell your story. So what is your story without, you know, giving away anything from the book? But when you tell the story of who you are, what's your story? So my story is a story of a Christian woman who loved the Lord, who had a child out of wedlock, a child before marriage, and who decided that she was going to live a life as a Christian, dedicate her life entirely to uh, to the Lord, trusting him, waiting on him to bring him a husband because because that's the that is truly what I wanted. I wanted to have a husband, but I wasn't looking for a father for my son. I was looking for a companion for myself who would also be a good husband, a good father to my son. So my heart was looking for that. My heart was looking for companionship and and friendship. And so the blending beyond expectation, I had a lot of expectations of what I would experience as a Christian woman looking mm-hmm. to marry a Christian man, what my household would look like, what my family would look like, what kind of an example my marriage would be to to other families. And that, you know, I would be a wonderful, wonderful bonus mother to some boy, some girl, if my future husband would have children, and I would expect that I would look for that same type to be a, my husband would be a wonderful bonus father to my son. And so, and so that's what I looked for. And I dedicated my life to, to serving the Lord and fulfilling his purpose and his plan for my life. And I just, I just looked to lead a life that was pleasing to him mm-hmm. and that was actually purpose-filled in everything that I did. Yeah, I I can definitely relate to that. Um, not just because, you know, we've been friends for so long and we've kind of walked that same path together, but being a Christian woman and wanting to have you know, the promises of God fulfilled in your life and wanting to live your life in such a way that I know I always say that the way I look at my purpose is that at the end of my life, I want God to be able to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so I think many Christian women can relate to that, whether it's in their marriage or in their journey as a mother or just in anything that they do. And then and relate to the fact that you have certain expectations and those expectations don't necessarily always turn out the way you expect them to. Exactly. So I know that you have spoken on panels at women's retreats and at various events. And I just wanted to ask you, it's a two part question. So the first part of the question is for someone who is newly married going into a blended family, what advice would you give them? Ah, newly married, going into a blended family. Okay, so let's back that up a bit. Uh, My first piece of advice would be before you even make the decision to walk down the aisle, that in your premarital counseling, there are sessions with you and your future spouse together sessions with you and your children whatever children are involved if you both have children if one side has children to do um, sessions with 
with the children and then sessions with without the children. So if your pastor is marrying you, for instance, there should be sessions with you and your future spouse you, your future spouse, and the children, and then the children all by themselves because there are expectations, preconceived expectations Mm. that a man and a woman have as their union being married, what they expect the children's roles would be, what they expect the bonus parents' roles to be, and then also the children that are being brought into this union have an expectation of their biological parent and of their bonus parent. It would behoove you to get some of those expectations out in the forefront before you walk down the aisle because there's certainly expectations that you don't want to see or experience for the first time after the blending has already been done. Mm, that is great advice and we are back to the word expectations and Mm -hmm. it seems like that's definitely a common theme and as you were talking it reminded me of a trip that actually you me and our other girlfriend Gail went on when we were all newly married into our blended families yes (laughs) yes and as you know that was how many years ago did you say it was Oh, that was, let's see, Joshua was born in August of 07, and that trip was Mother's Day weekend in 2008. Okay. 12 12 years ago, Mother's Day weekend, 12 years ago. 12 years ago. And we were all very hopeful and idealistic. And we we had a lot of expectations, I think, you know, even on that trip that didn't necessarily go the way we expected them to go. So when I were when I think about the trip, I mean, one of the things that that was really nice was our our bonus children. So they were all boys, you know, so I had a bonus son, you had a bonus son and Gail and then Justin, who's your Mm -hmm. biological son. And and they were all around the same age. So that was nice that they were around the same age and they could kind of relate to each other and hang out together. Mm -hmm. But we also found out that they could get into mischief together too. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And that wasn't part of our expectations. Not at all. So when you think back on that experience, <laughs> is there anything that, you know, you know, if we could transport ourselves back to that day mm-hmm. as Naomi, the author today, what would you, what advice would you have given the three of us in that moment that might've helped us, you know, through these years as being a new, a new mom and a blended family? So I, my advice would be that the biological parent is the one who would be responsible for the discipline of their own child. Mm -hmm. So, so we three married men who had sons. And of course I had my own son. So there were these sons. And um, of course, you know, one would think that, Oh, well, you know, especially with me, with my son, you know, I thought, well, I know what's best for him. He was 11 when we got married. So I know what's best for my son. I know how discipline works for my son, but I thought, Oh, well, you know, I'm married. This is great. I'm just going to turn the discipline over to my husband. And that was not an expectation of Justin, nor did it go over well with Justin, but 
I looked at it as I'm a Christian woman married to a Christian man. He's the head of our home. And the order is God first, my husband second, me third, and then the children. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, you know, he's a Christian man. I trust him with his, his, his form of discipline over my son, but a, a Christian, a, a friend of mine who is a Christian counselor and, and minister actually told me that it takes seven years for a blended mm-hmm. family to blend. And wow. we were certainly within our seven years. And so it, you know, just just letting your spouse, you know, no holds bar, you know, discipline over your your child, I think is is a very bad and misleading expectation to have even in a, in a Christian family. The biological parent should be the one who does the disciplining, I would say, very, very early on and probably for a good part of three to five years, I would say. Mm. Now that is really good advice because I don't think anybody ever told me that. I don't think I read that anywhere. So that is really good advice. And the the second part of my question is about advice to somebody who's in a blended family and they're running into some roadblocks. They're having some problems. They're having some issues. It, It could be a number of different issues, but is there any advice that you would give to them? I think that for the parent who is the bonus parent, I think that some grace. Mm -hmm. I think that the biological parent should give the bonus parent some grace and and vice versa because you have these expectations of how things should go and just as you have a, a, a nuclear family where there is no blending even when you have two biological parents raising children in the same home Things don't always work out as planned. So when you're blending families, there's just so much that's going on that I think that each parent should extend a little more grace, a little more patience, a little more love, a little more space for the relationship to grow. There's a lot of wiggle room that has to be that has to be had and your niche has to be found so that you're comfortable in your blending you're going you're going to have some some ebbs and some flows some peaks mm-hmm. and some valleys some highs and some lows some goods some goods and some bads but just to be able to have an expectation that the line in the sand is wavy and not straight Mm. and and not to be so rigid just draw that wavy line in the sand and that way it's not a matter of if you cross this line you're getting really close to this line Mm -hmm. make that line a little wavy and not so rigidly straight yeah grace grace that's something i feel like comes up in so many relationships um it comes up in relationships that i have with other women that a lot of times we need to give each other more grace and Mm -hmm spousal relationships and definitely in your with your children and also with yourself so that that's definitely a word right there just just have a little bit more grace so talking about the book Mm -hmm. what prompted you to to write this book 
Wow. <laughs> so in, in the midst of my journey, when, when I'm walking out the most difficult parts of the struggle in my heart as a woman, the tug of war that I experienced as a wife and a mother, in the midst of that, I was part of a Women of Judah dance ministry at my church. And, you know, that that we began our dance rehearsals in what we called our studio. And there was always some Christian music, worship music playing in the background. And you came in, and you had a good 15 to 20 minutes to just worship, to just be vulnerable before the Lord. And then we would get in a prayer circle and we were asked for prayer requests and praise reports. And we prayed for each other. And it was a time where I felt like I had sisters, I had support, I had someone who was going to be my Aaron and my my her and, and hold my hands up when I felt like they were too weak for me to hold them up on my own. And so in the midst of in the midst of my darkest season, you know, I found strength and I found resolve and a lot of people didn't know a lot of the things that I write about in the book and especially not to the level of transparency with which I wrote. And so I would talk to, to women, I would talk to young men and, and just to be able to, to, to give them advice and to, and to encourage them along their journey, even in the midst of my own, you know, people would tell me that, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember I started writing my book and I had written and then I got scared. I got scared of, because of how transparent I had to be, how transparent I was instructed to be by the Lord, because women and men need to be healed. And if you need to be healed, you need to learn from people who are open and transparent. So I began to write and then I, I wrote for about a year and I put the book down. Mm -hmm. And I was really fearful. I went to a women's fellowship meeting at my church. And, you know, the meeting was over. And so we're kind of hanging around a little bit of us, just kind of talking. And a woman who was not part of the ministry wandered into the room where we were. And she says, oh, Deaconess Hugh, she says, I, I was looking for you. She said, I came up here for one thing. The Lord told me to tell you to write that book. You need to mm. write that book. And she said, so I had to find you today. And, th wow. and that's all she said. And then she, she walked out of the room. And tears just rolled down my face because it was in the middle of my struggle to pick the book back up again that I realized. And I looked at the woman who, who led our women's ministry as if to say, did you tell her? Did you tell her? And she looked right. at me and she said, I promise you, I don't know that woman. I promise you, I did not say anything to that woman about you writing a book. And when that happened, and I knew that God sent that woman into the room that I needed to pick the book back up and finish what he instructed me to write. And you know, people tell me, you have a lot to say. You, you need to write a book. You have a lot to say. So... I picked it back up and finished it. 
Yeah, so God had to send you a supernatural message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it and it goes right with what you said earlier about your mission being a Christian woman and wanting to serve the Lord. And so realizing that this was part of your service to God was to write this book and be so transparent and be so vulnerable uh, because you're so committed to to your walk. You said, oh, well, if, if God said I have to do it, then I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for being uh, obedient to to what the Lord asked you to do, because the book it definitely has been a blessing to many people. I've I've seen many people blessed by it. I am blessed by it, and so I know that that it is a blessing. So I'm glad that you were obedient, because sometimes God tell us what to do, and we still are too scared to do it. Mm-hmm. 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 For someone who has never read the book, if you had to give a synopsis or describe it, how would you describe it? I would say the book is a journey. It is an absolute journey through a woman's heart. So when you put when you pick the book up and it's a journey through my heart and I actually invite the reader to take a journey through their own heart as they read through the book, because it's not just a book that's my story, that is a narrative of my story, but there are also um, parts of the book at the end of each chapter that invites the reader to take a journey through their own heart so that some healing might take place as you walk along my journey. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's really beautiful how you have the prompts for the reader to be able to go a little bit deeper into their own heart. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that, you know, you've always wanted to be a doctor since you were a little girl and you've always wanted to be a wife and a mother. But I I don't think being an author was on your list of things that you absolutely wanted to be as a, as a little girl. So what has it been like, been like, what's it like to be an author now that you are a published author? Okay. So I think, okay. So right now, as we speak, I am 53 years old. (laughs) And as I began to approach age 50, I began to feel like I needed to leave a legacy. Mm. What what will be your legacy? You know, for, for all that you've done, for all that you are, yes, you're a pediatrician and be, being a pediatrician is a calling for me. And I do believe that I am fulfilling God's calling and purpose for my life in the role as a pediatrician. But I didn't feel like doctoring was my legacy. And so I got to a point where I thought, well, I'd like to teach, you know, I feel like I have, I I can give back in that manner, I can teach. And so I thought, well, I know medicine. I know medicine very well. Well, I'll just teach medicine. I'll, I'll apply for a job at a, um, at a university, at a medical school, and I will teach young doctors. I will, I will teach um, young people um, how to become a doctor. I will teach them in their residency training programs. I will teach them when they're new doctors. This is what I thought that I would do because I had a desire to teach. And that wasn't it. 
That wasn't it because God didn't instruct me to leave the practice where I am. And so I thought, well, how how will I teach? Well, I teach when I mentor and I teach when I speak to other women. I teach Mm -hmm. when I am leading a workshop. You know, I teach in all of those kinds of ways. And so I thought, well... I'm instructed to write this book. I will teach my story. I will leave my legacy in that manner. And so that's how it came upon me to become an author. And so as an author, you need a platform, you know, who, who's going to listen to you. So, mm-hmm. you know, being invited to first attending women's conferences and workshops and things of that nature gives me the opportunity, puts me in, in the, in the room to be invited to, to speak and to lead. And so I just feel like in these latter years of my life, this, this I'm entering the fall of my life, if you will, you know, I felt like I needed to to identify my legacy and then begin to be able to work that out and and then here comes being an author who knew who knew yeah and I like the way you speak about your legacy because I think a lot of times when people think about their legacy excuse me Mm -hmm. they think about their children or their financial legacy or but you're thinking about a legacy to the world as other women (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's a beautiful way to think about uh, legacy and as you were speaking it, it reminded me of your 50th birthday party which was such a fabulous event and it really did bring to light you know sort of where you had come up to that point and there was this anticipation mm-hmm. what this next chapter was going to be like so it was almost like an invitation to reminisce about the first 50 years but also mm-hmm. introduce us to the anticipate anticipation of what was coming next and it was just done beautifully and in style just like everything that you do so that was a fabulous experience and so I can kind of connect what you're saying about the legacy with you turning 50 like you you just mentioned and you know what's funny about that because I chose the song I'm coming out to enter into the room at, down the the cascading stairway at my 50th and my husband I remember him saying I'm coming out what what you coming out to who's this what what you what's need, what you need to come out what's coming out and I was like babe I don't know but I'm coming out and, um, there was there was some healing that had to be done and there was a little girl inside of me who was still hurting and she became healed when I turned 50 years old and so I was releasing this wounded little girl who was deep within me to her freedom just to be free just to be the black butterfly fly freely and so I really felt like I'm coming out and um and, and that was it so there is this this other part of Naomi you know that mm-hmm. there's this other part that needed to be released that needed to come out that the world needs to hear and so that's that's it she's here yeah <laughs> the metamorphosis has occurred and yes. uh, yeah the butterflies reborn that's that's beautiful 
I think that most of us have that wounded little girl that needs to be healed. Some of us, you know, do the healing work, you know, in our 30s or 40s. Uh, some of us do it in our 50s. But like you, I have a heart for wanting to see people and specifically women healed. And so I know that there are, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, time heals all wounds. But, but that's not necessarily true. I, I've seen people who have died with their wounds. <laughs> and so it's not necessarily time. There's work that needs to be done for you to receive your healing. And I feel like it's part of my life's purpose to help women do that work so that they can be healed. Now, even though the book is a journey through your heart, Okay. You talk about your family and you carry us through, you show us a picture of your life in relationship to your family. So as you're being transparent and you're ready to come out, you know, they may not have been so ready to come out. So yeah. how did you deal with that? How did you deal with, you know, getting your husband and your sons on board with you being so transparent? Well, the first person... I think I really had to get on board was my son, Justin, because the chapters in the book that deal with him are extremely personal, extremely transparent. The relationship that he and I have and the manner in which I mothered him through a very difficult season is verbatim in print. And so I said, Justin, I need to write this book. This book needs to include you because it's part of my testimony and part of my journey and part of how I encourage and inspire women. So we're either going to write about it or we're not. And he said, oh, I'm good with it, mommy. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And when, when I explained to him uh, what parts of his journey I wanted to put in the book, he said, it's okay, mommy, it's part of my testimony. So, mm. so I said, okay, Justin, so we're, we're going to do this. He's like, let's do it. Let's do this. Let's do this. So for him, it was, it was a little bit easier, although it's raw. It's yeah. very raw. It was very raw, but he, he gave me permission. And, and so, and so I went forth. And so with my husband, it was a little bit different because Kelvin is um, a lot more private. He's a male, he's the head of the household. And there was a, there was a struggle. There was a tug of war in my household. As a matter of fact, the first chapter of the book is entitled who's running this house. Mm -hmm. And so it it was, a, it it was a three-way struggle to see who was going to be running this house. And so, you know, my husband, as a Christian male, as a leader in the church, kind of took, took, some, took some words from some men in the church in terms of some of the decisions that he made regarding how things would be done in our marriage when we blended our family. And so he's not as open as Justin is. And then as I go into chapter two and chapter three in the book, and I, I write very transparently about some things that he and I struggled with that, mm -hmm. that I didn't expect us to struggle with when we got married, you know, that, that too had to be extremely transparent. And mm -hmm. so with him, 
it was actually different with Justin. We knew in advance what had to go in those sections of the chapter with my husband. He gave me permission to write. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote and every chapter as I wrote, when I completed it, I just gave it to him. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, babe, I'm just going to write what I've been instructed and moved by the Holy Spirit to write. When I finish writing, I'm going to give you the chapter and you let me know how you feel about what I've written in the chapter. And so there are three chapters that that were compiled in that way. And after they were written, he 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 understood and he agreed. And and there were even some where I had to say, well, I need to write about this and I need to write about that. And I'm going to write about it in the way that it actually happened, because there are some some couples who are going to be struggling with some of the things that we dealt with. And we need to be transparent in our feelings and our dealings with these sensitive topics. And so his was a kind of after the fact approval, but an approval nonetheless. Did, did he ever say, take that out? Never, oh. never. As a matter of fact, he read each chapter as I wrote them, purely unedited, read them. And when I went through the first editing process with my developmental editor, he read them too. But as I got more fine tuning, he, he didn't. So when he when he read the book, he read it and he said, he said, wow, he said, my wife went through some things that I didn't even know she was going through. Mm. He said, I never I never knew that this affected you the way that it did. So even he being my husband, having gone through side by side with me, mm. still did not know what was in the depths of my heart and how much of a struggle my my heart experienced as a wife. Wow, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's really awesome the way you respected him and you know and and gave him the opportunity to see it and agree to it and i'm sure he really appreciated that that you you know respected him enough to let him see it and give his approval or disapproval Ooh. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 definitely you know a, a journey through the heart which is deep but it's it's very useful when we're able to share and help somebody else get over something that we've overcome, which, which mm -hmm. is what, you know, sisters overcoming. So the things that you've overcome, when you're able to share them, you're able to help another sister um, overcome them. So I appreciate you being on the show and being able to share with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's good. It was so, so good to share. Really, really, really good to share. Yeah. Was there anything surprising either in the journey of writing the book or publishing the book or what has happened afterwards? Was it is there anything that has surprised you? Um, mm -hmm. 
my copy editor surprised me um, <laughs> Jenny she um apparently I write with a lot of dangling participles and um, <laughs> and I would say to her she's like oh this this needs a subject tag and I'm like what and you know I would I would write and it's the way that I speak and I write and she would say um she's like you're you're not a um you're not a you're not an English teacher, you're a physician. So she says, you're perfectly fine. You write the way that you write. And, um, you know, and so she, um, she made me laugh. So she, she was surprised and she's, she's such a sweetheart, Jenny Ng, I, such a sweetheart. So, um, so that part was surprising and, um, enlightening. And then just after, you know, when you write something that is as, as, um, as vulnerable and transparent as what I've written, you still, you know, it's out there. That's it. Boom. You're published. People are mm -hmm. reading it. There's no turning back, but the feedback that I have received. And when I write in the introduction that the book is best read with a pen, paper and tissue in hand, you know, I thought the women would be transformed and that some tears would fall as they read my story and as they experienced their own journey. But to really hear how this book has touched women and men. Mm -hmm. I have had women tell me that they're going to use my book um, for their book club. Wow. I've had even um, a man tell me that he read the book and off the bat, there are two Bible studies that he intends to bring to his men's group wow. from reading my book. So um, just those kinds of stories that, you know, I've been reading it and I can't put it down. Oh my gosh, this is, this is so one person, told me that I was I knew that you were whatever 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 I never knew you were such a great storyteller mm -hmm. and um and so those are those are things that are surprising and heartwarming um about the book yeah I would have to agree with that person actually I knew you were a good storyteller because you tell good stories <laughs> just as a girlfriend but I didn't know that you were that good of a storyteller I mean as I was reading the book I'm like wow she knows how to tell a story um, and, and and back to your copy editor I mean based on how we write as physicians it's mm -hmm. it's it's surprising that we can even put three sentences together at all. So, um, but then my mother, my mother, oh my gosh, when I was um, writing in middle school and in high school, like I would write papers for school and my mother, before I even turned them in, returned my papers to me marked with a red pen. <laughs> So wow, she was so hardcore. My mother, <laughs> and my mother is is definitely the the grammar snob, and so um, she she is also um, responsible for um, a lot of my my writing and my speaking. You know, even today. So, you know, people say, you know, you're not my teacher. You can't make me do this extra work. If my teacher doesn't mark it up, how can you mark it up? But my 
Murtis Hill was marking the papers before <laughs> any teacher saw them. So so that's good. That's yeah. And she didn't know she was contributing to a future author. Right. Right. How about that? <laughs> exactly. Now, another thing that I always like to bring out on this show is how limiting beliefs come up and, and whatever it is that we endeavor to do and how they can sometimes hold us back from reaching our dreams or keep us stuck. And then how we're able able to overcome them. So you talked about the period of time where you put the book down because you had a lot of fear. Can you identify a specific limiting belief that was kind of keeping you stuck? Sure. There, there's a fear of, well, these people see me as this way. They have this preconceived idea about me. But then, you know, I will always tell people, you know, you look at me and, and, and you know, people think, oh, well, she's she's so stuck up and she thinks she's better than anybody else. And, you know, look at the way she carries herself. Well, again, here comes my mother. When I was in middle school, my mother made me walk with a book on my head because when I was in gym in the seventh grade, we learned about the center of gravity. And my gym teacher, Mrs. Potter, told me to stand up straight. And I said, I am standing up straight. And she said, no, you're not. And when she pushed my shoulders back to center my center of gravity, I thought I was going to fall backwards on my heels. So I come home and I tell my mother the story. Well, that's it. I have to walk with a book on my head every day after school in seventh grade until my shoulders were back and the book didn't fall off my head. So the proper um, stance that I have now and the way that I carry myself is not because I think that I am, you know, one way is because this is how my mother taught me to carry myself. And I happened to be a tall woman and mm -hmm. I happened to be a lean woman. And so you just carry yourself in a certain way. You speak in a certain way. And so people have these preconceived ideas about who you are. And so, but I'm just Naomi and I happen to be, you know, Mrs. Hugh or Deaconess Hugh or Dr. Hill or my me, but I'm still just Naomi. And so Naomi goes through things like Stephanie goes through, you know, I am mm -hmm. just, you know, who I am. And so when you, you be, begin to write and you begin to reveal the human side of who you are and that you're just a wife and that you're just a mother and that you deal with the same things that other wives and other mothers deal with, you know, it humanizes you. And I know that I'm human, but other people have these expectations and these pedestals that they would like to place you on. And so it's almost like like, not that I want to disappoint my reader, but more like, well, I told you that I was just normal, you know, and so in realizing my normalcy and how my normalcy is going to transform and heal that same normalcy and transparency and vulnerability is what caused me to put the book down mm. for fear of what people were going to see 
when they picked it up. But the seeing, the healing is in the seeing. And if you don't see, then there will be no transformation and there will be no healing. Mm, that was a great explanation of what that was like for you. And so I'm hearing that the limiting belief is that, okay, when I write this book, people are going to change the way they see me. It's going to change the way they see me. So what did you have to think differently in order to be able to move forward and write the book? How did you change that thought? I changed it by saying, well, it is what it is. This is my story. And and I'm not ashamed of my story. And I can't allow my story to heal people who don't know me. It has to heal people who know me as well. Mm. So the people who don't know me don't have a preconceived idea. They will read my story and be encouraged and inspired. And those who know me, well, once you get past what then you'll 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 be okay too because it's really your preconceived idea that may trip you up because I'm good. Right. You know, I'm good. I'm good, you know. I'm I'm good. You know, this 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 is this is my journey. This is the journey through my heart and it's as real as real can be and I am so happy and so privileged to be able to share it. Yeah. And in sharing it, the very people whose preconceived notions uh, may have been changed are probably some of the people who God wanted you to touch as well. So again, your your obedience. And again, we talk about expectations and how we have to sometimes set aside those expectations. Mm -hmm. And you know, to be to, to be quite truthful, I had some preconceived expectations about my own life and how my life was going to look and how things were going to turn out. And that's not how it happened, you know. And, and once again, people see my accomplishments and where I am, but I had some some ideas about how I thought things were going to be. And oh, no my dear Naomi, they are not like that, <laughs> but that's okay. So I'm even healed and transformed and say, you know, well, I had these expectations of how my life was going to be. And this just isn't how it turned out. And, you know, I'm all right with that. You know, you, you come to a point where you just have to be okay, because, you know, God really does know more about what his purpose and plan is for our lives than we know ourselves. And so since he's in a driver's seat you know I just learned to you know sit back put my feet up and enjoy the ride <laughs> yes I love that metaphor and that image because Lord knows there were some things that I expected that didn't quite turn out the way I expected in my life either so I'm there with you on that one mm -hmm. so the prologue after blended beyond expectation so what has happened since the book that you might want to share or what's what's next okay so i actually you know there's this thing called um a blog and um <laughs> you know just like people have told me you need to write a book you need to write a book well people are saying you need to blog you need to blog and i'm like what is a blog anyway like what exactly does that mean what's <laughs> 
what kind of commitment is right. there to a blog? And so I think the next thing after blended beyond expectation, but still keeping in, in, in the vein of blended beyond expectation, there will be some blogging. And I would, in my heart of hearts, like to do a book club where mm-hmm. there are people who have read the book who want to come together and just chat about it. You know, let me know a little bit about your journey. What did you think when you were reading this? How did you answer this question after chapter four? Well, how did you how did you choose to do this act of kindness that follows chapter seven? You know, those sort of kinds of things I would like to do. And then I actually do have two more books immediately in my spirit. One of them is a book that's on worship because people would also ask me, you know, how I made it through some difficult seasons. And a lot of how I made it through is 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 worship. So I wanted to write a book about that. And then there's there's a book that that has to do with our um our son who's responsible for our blending and that's my joshua and Mm -hmm. i would like to write a book that would be for kind of the tween age group that's called joshua chronicles so some things that are that are next that still have to do with me and my family yeah, no, I think I love the idea of the book club. It it helps to build community and that that's just an exciting prospect. And the, the blogging stuff is is really the, the thing to do these days. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so I can so understand. Told. Right, right. I can understand why people um, ask you to do that. And then I know Joshua has so many funny stories and things yes. that he does that that's going to be a really fun read, uh, <laughs> reading about Joshua's Chronicles. So for my listeners, how can we follow you and stay on board with the things that you're doing and be involved with the book club and buy your book mm-hmm. and all that good stuff? Okay, so the first is my website which is www.drnaomi.org. So everything is there. You can purchase the book from there. The blog will be there. I actually have some videos uh, that I will have there. Also, I have my professional social media platforms are Naomi L. Hill Hugh. MD. So anything that you see with my full name, Naomi L. Hill Hugh, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. If I have speaking engagements, you know, I'll upload videos from those and, you know, those things of that nature are on my YouTube channel, as well as the virtual book launch that I did on September the 13th. That's loaded on my YouTube channel. Then you can get in touch with me through email. If you need to email me, then you can do Dr. Naomi L. Hill Hugh at gmail.com. So those are my social media handles and how you can connect with me. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for your time. This has been a fun and a very enlightening conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. I've I've really enjoyed it. I have really enjoyed sharing with your audience. Thank you for inviting me to share. You're welcome. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of SOAR. If you'd like to reach me for coaching, you can reach me at www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And if you want to follow SOAR, you can follow Sisters Overcoming and Rising on Instagram or Stephanie Brown Coaching on Facebook. Goodbye for now.